Amen. I hope you're sitting comfortably as um, I seek to bring the entire council of the uh, Lord to us this morning. Actually, funnily enough, um, this has been, I've got something in my eye, so forgive me for that. Um, this has been um, a particularly challenging um, talk to prepare this week because the character I'm going to be talking about, um, I could say so much. So it's one of those where you're trying to whittle it down and try and um, get it down to a smaller amount. We'll get around to that in just a moment. First of all, on a practical note, thank you so much for your patience with us. Um, we're having difficulty having enough seats for everybody, and I know some people had to wait until the children had gone out. So bless you. Thank you very much. As I said last week, uh, we have got a little team now working on trying to find a solution for us in terms of what our meeting space uh, might be. We know this building's got certain limitations, um, but thank you for your patience with us. With us. And uh, thank God that we're gathering together to worship him and to share around his word. Amen. Amen. Um, Thanks to this wonderful little team at the front, we do now have welcome bags. So if you didn't, if you just raise your hand again, if you're here for the first time, we would just love to welcome you and give you a little gift. Um, we've got two people at the front here. There's somebody over here on this side. And can we welcome these people who are here for the first time? We're very privileged that you've chosen to spend um, your time with us this Sunday morning. So bless you. Thank you for joining with us. And if you are too embarrassed to put your hand up, please grab a bag from me at the end of the service. Okay, bless you for that. We've been looking at this series that we have called, by the way, Borida, good morning. My name is Joel and I'm privileged to pastor here at Elim Aberystwyth. We've been looking at this series that we've called, uh, around biblical characters that we've called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. Uh, we've been recognizing every week that uh, we might often ask, why would God choose me? Um, sorry, Zach, we're not, we're not working on the clicker, so you're going to have to follow along with me. We might often ask, why would God choose me? And the Bible tells us why not, as we look at the stories of all the biblical characters in there. All those biblical heroes, uh, including those people who might be what we would call unsung heroes. We don't talk about them that much. But all of them are ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. Amen? Oh, oh it is working now. Oh, no, no, no. Hang on a minute. Just leave it a second. Yeah, it is working now, so you're okay. You're off the hook. Can we just thank our technical teams for all the hard work they do? <laughs> Speaking of unsung heroes, eh? Those people that, that, that you only notice when stuff goes wrong. But we thank God for them. Um, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Amen? And so we can all be used... For God's glory. He can choose every and does choose every single one of us to fulfill a particular purpose in his plan and, um, and purpose. Now let me give a little hint and most people will get this straight away. Today's character, the hint is right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, nod your head, turn around, praise the Lord. Now, you're going to be giving away your age, potentially, <laughs> unless you've been brought up well and you've learned this song as a young person in your home. Does anybody know this song? 
Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, nod your head, turn around. Praise the Lord. Amen. Woo! So obviously today's character, although actually it's not just the one character, we're going to look at two characters together. Uh, and we're going to be beginning by talking about Abram or Avram and Sarai. And by the end of the morning, we'll be talking about Abraham and, or Abraham and Sarah. Let's look at Hebrews 11. This passage in Hebrews 11 is often described as the passage that talks about the heroes of faith. Uh, and in that passage, we get a real insight into uh, the New Testament uh, apostolic view of Abraham's journey and Abraham, who he was. It says this in Hebrews 11. And if you can see the words clearly enough, we can just read this passage together. If you don't want to, that's fine. But let, if you do want to, let's go. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise." And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand it and to apply it and, and know how we can live this out in our world today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So straight away here from Hebrews uh, 11, we get this uh, understanding that Abraham uh, is listed alongside his wife, Sarah, as a hero of the faith. Why? Simply this, because he believed the promise of God. And that really, uh, in one sense, we, we could wrap up and go home and say, well, this is our challenge. Can we believe the promise of God? And, and by the end of this morning, that's the thing I would like us to all go away wanting, aiming, and trying to do in our own lives would be believing that promise of God. Now let's go back to Genesis 11. Uh, and this is where we first come across uh, Abraham in the scriptures. Uh, and I've, I've purposely, through the, lots of the scripture readings this morning, I've, I've cut bits out to try and be as succinct as we possibly can, because otherwise we'll be here until tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> but here, here's what it says. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah uh, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And now we have the, 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 the great value of hindsight and the, the rest of the uh, scriptural understanding and how the story unfolds. And we uh, would count Abraham as uh, this 
great forefather of faith and of uh, the, na- the nation of God's people, Israel. Uh, but why I just read this little family line is, although this happens at a key point in history, and we're quite, uh, we're not very far down the family lines yet of, of, of humankind, um, Abraham was a relatively ordinary person. It could have been any of the other children. It could have been any of the other people that were alive on the earth at that time. But God had chosen Abraham for a specific plan and for a specific purpose. And he does that for you and me. Uh, And his story does happen at a key point in Genesis. We've had Noah and the flood, Genesis 6 to 9. We've had uh, the account, and and, and listen, I am flying through things very quickly and and going over a lot of ground in a few sentences here. But Noah's descendants re-inhabit the land of the earth after the flood has wiped out all living uh, beings. Um, And then we have the situation with the Tower of Babel, where the people have one language and they, uh, they try and build this tower to become like God. And God breaks down that tower and, and, and separates them and confuses their languages. And then um, we have Abraham arriving, which is about nine long, roughly nine generations, and he's on the, the um, line of Shem. Now, Shem, I believe, is, some, is, 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 where, is partly where we get Jerusalem from, but I'm not 100% sure on that. This happens around 2000 BC. And I found that quite interesting because when we think about 2000 years, we usually look back to Jesus' time. And, and in our minds, just in our mindsets, that's 2,000 years. And so if we were to go back another 2,000 years, we're, we're kind of mirroring it. And there are different arguments about how uh, exactly these dates work out. And it depends which calendar that you're using from history. Um, and the truth is, we don't know exactly which one's correct. Um, we, we, we can't be precise on it. But somewhere around that mark, about 2,000 years ago, uh, 2,000 years before uh, Jesus Christ walked the earth. Uh, Abraham was walking the earth. And Abraham and his, let me say, rather dysfunctional family are the focus of God's promise and his redemptive plan from this point forward throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob, we know, becomes Israel. Israel means God perseveres. And I think it's so apt, uh, even now as a follower of Jesus Christ, to think that God perseveres. Because he has to persevere with us, doesn't he? Does he have to persevere with you? Because he certainly has to persevere with me. And so the story of God's chosen nation ensues. And in every generation, right from Abraham and Sarai, which we'll have a little look at, right from there we see how the imperfections and the failures of humanity work alongside the mercy, the righteousness, and the faithfulness of God. Thank God that he works on the earth despite our frailty and our failures. And we see that right from this point. Something, probably one of the, the, the most important things we need to understand about Abraham and Sarai is that they were given very distinct and very clear promises by God. Here's what I think is the first one of those from Genesis 12. 
The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples, either all, i.e. all the nations, all the languages, all the people of all languages, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Implicit in this promise is that Abraham and Sarai would prosper along with their offspring. And that is very important because we know the offspring thing becomes a great challenge for them sometime after this promise is given. And also later, the Lord promised to give the land of Canaan to his offspring. And Abraham, at that point in Genesis 12, verse 6, he builds an altar. And there we understand something of his character is that he is a worshiper of God. And it's so important when God does something in our lives, if God gives us a promise, that we make note of it and we mark it out in our lives. And that's what they would do when they were building an altar. They were marking out something that God had said or done in their lives. I don't know how that works for you. I encourage you, if you feel that God has spoken a promise to you, write it down. Find some way to recall it, to, to call upon it and to remember what God has said or what God has done. But at that altar is also a place of worship. And we want what God says and does to inspire us to worship. Flipping through the story very quickly, the next thing we hear is that there's a famine in the land. And this famine, it proves to be a great test to Abraham and Sarai because they go to Egypt in order to survive. Uh, and the promise that God has given them is tested. Will the promise keeper be faithful to his word? Going to Egypt is not necessarily a problem in itself. They were going there to survive because of the famine. But the thing which we see here is that in this scenario, Abraham moves from faith in the promise that God has given him to fear. And we get Abraham and Sarai doubting God's promise and taking things into their own hands. And I'm going to call this part one <laughs> because there are other situations that come later. Genesis 12, and starting in verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you're a beautiful woman. I, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. I'm not going to go, for the sake of time, into the uh, ins and outs of this, but there are differing views and arguments about what the implications and the morality of this choice that they made was. But what is clear is that this was done because he was fearing for his life. Now, how could he be fearing for his life and trusting the promise of God for his offspring and the generations and the, the promise he was going to receive at the same time? So faith and fear come against each other in this situation, and it's fear that drives this choice. We see that Abraham does gain material blessing as a result. But we also see how the Lord inflicts Pharaoh's household with diseases because he has taken into his uh, household Abraham's wife. Now, this is a problematic and dysfunctional passage for us to try and make sense of and for us to try and digest. And we see what happened when Pharaoh realized and understood what had happened. 
Pharaoh summoned Abraham. He said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. It's problematic. It's difficult to understand. It's very unpalatable to us with our understanding of marriage and culture and how life works as well. Things were a bit different then. And here's something which is interesting is Abraham technically wasn't telling a lie. Because Sarai was, and again, this is something which we can't get our heads around, but they were, they were related. And, and culturally, we're talking about a different time and a different way of understanding the world. They were related. So he wasn't lying. He just was concealing some truth. And it was quite key truth. He was certainly concealing what, the, the, what Pharaoh needed to know in this situation. But God intervened. Because the fulfillment of God's promise supersedes Abram and Pharaoh's actions in this scenario. An inter- interesting question I came across as I was studying for this this week. Because these diseases that came to Pharaoh's household were the thing which brought about the realization of who Sarah truly, Sarai truly was. So was it that God had actually, by his grace enabled this revelation to come through the diseases for Pharaoh to have an awakening and realize. Were these diseases uh, a grace for the revelation of greater truth? I'll leave that there as a question, not giving any answers. The thing I do want to tell us as an answer is this. God's word always prevails. And in this situation, we see God's word prevail. Because Pharaoh has this realization, and he sets Abram and his wife, Sarai, free. From there, Abram and his nephew Lot, who had become wealthy uh, in Egypt, they leave Egypt and they go in different directions. And the reason they go in different directions is because they'd become so wealthy that those that were working for each of them began to fall out there over the herds and the flocks and where they should be grazing and, 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 and the practicalities. Isn't it interesting that this material blessing led to family fallout? Interesting. Material blessing is not always the answer. But God was blessing Abraham and his family in this way. But they go in different directions to save themselves from falling out. Abraham is in Canaan and is promised his offspring will receive all the land that he could see and that they would be as numerous as the dust. Uh, and then the story goes on, and I told you I'm having to flip through a lot in a short space of time. And Abram comes to Lot's rescue after some of the surrounding kings have had a battle, and Lot, Lot has been taken away uh, and, uh, and held captive. And Abram, despite really not having enough people to logically do so, is able to overcome and to set Lot free. And then we have this very interesting story where Abraham has an encounter with a fascinating character that we call Melchizedek. Uh, He was described as the king of Salem, which is where Jerusalem comes from. 
He is recognized as a priest of the Lord, and Abraham worships with a tenth of all he has. This is the first time we have this idea of a tenth. You might have been in a church context and heard of tithing and thought that sounds like a very strange thing to be doing. Uh, it's something that we have as a guideline. We don't have it as a rule. It's not something we say you must do. It's something we say is a healthy thing to do. And it says that, that, that a tenth of what comes into my household I will offer to the Lord to remind myself that everything comes from him first. And I want to honor him with what I have. And that's what Abraham does here. He honors the Lord with what he has. Um, and uh, yeah, this character Melchizedek, again, there isn't time to try and understand and unpack this, but he's a fascinating character, both a priest and a king. And we understand him to be a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, who also was a priest and a king. And Abraham worships with a tenth of all he has. Question here is, can we recognize and honor God's provision when we receive it? Can we make sure that in whatever way, whether for you it is by giving a tenth of what you have into wherever you feel is right to give it, or whether it is by worshiping in some way, can we make sure that we honor God with what he's given us? We recognize his provision in our life. And that's something we can learn from Abraham here. He did that. So we're skipping forward. And after this, it says in Genesis 15, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, one of his people that worked for him or, or served him. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so your offspring, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord. Would you say that after me? Abraham believed the Lord. And God credited that to him as righteousness. Um, that's something that we need to understand and learn today. Faith. Faith. Belief in what God has said and done is, and is going to do is our only route to righteousness. It's the only way we can be made righteous. And in this, Abraham inspires us and shows us um, that we are able to access the righteousness of God through faith. Romans 4 talks about this and it quotes Abraham. It says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Bringing that right into the middle of the New Testament, right into that key passage in Romans helping us to understand that this is a picture for us of what Christ has done for us. And it's through Christ that we can receive the righteousness of God by faith. Not by trying to be good enough, not try by trying to earn our way into God's good books, but by faith. So we have that great inspirational passage where Ab Abraham it, it believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And yet... The next thing, 
Abraham and Sarai doubted God's promise and took things into their own hands. Part two. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So Hagar bore Abraham a son and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Again, this is more shocking to our palate than it would have been in the understanding of the culture in the days of the time. But it was not right. It was not the plan that God had spoken. It was not the promise that God had said about Abraham or Abraham and Sarai receiving and conceiving and their descendants being as numerous as the dust and the stars. And it was so it was done in, in the face and in spite of God's promise. And they're often criticized in light of this decision. But I want to challenge you and me, definitely myself this morning. How often do we take matters into our own hands? We, God, we want you to do something, but actually we'll try and do it ourselves anyway. We'll try and find a way. We'll try and find, I mean, it's just possibly a clever solution for Sarai. Well, you know, God doesn't seem to be doing what he said he would do, so let's try and find a workaround. Have you ever tried to find a workaround in your life? <laughs> I definitely tried to find workarounds. How often we take things into our own hands. But we see here that God was still faithful to his promise. However, this act of self-determination on the part of Abraham and Sarai has had major consequences that are still being outworked on the earth today. This is what God says to Hagar about her son Ishmael. He will live in hostility towards his brothers. It's not a, uh, an encouragement or a, prom like a promise that that's what God wanted. It's a statement of fact. Ishmael will live in hostility to his brothers. And there are definitely consequences, perhaps even what is going on in the world today. Because we see the family line of Ishmael and the family line of Isaac. And there is conflict that carries on. And some would attribute what's going on in the Middle East still to some of the conflict that has come from this family line. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of that. But even though God's promise prevails, there are still sometimes consequences to some of the things that take place. Moving on with the story with Hagar, Sarai becomes jealous and mistreats Hagar and she then escapes. But Hagar, who had been mistreated in this dysfunctional family situation, well, God finds her in her moment of pain and sorrow and, and, and loneliness. And he reveals himself. And this is where we get one of the names of God, the God who sees. And God sees her and promises innumerable descendants to her too. No matter who we are or how we have been treated by others, I want you to know that God sees. God sees. 
God sees. God looks and he sees. Call out to him. Let him draw near to you. Let him be your portion. And it's around this time then, the next thing that we find out about Abraham and Sarah is that they, despite all that's gone on, God's promise is prevailing and they become the recipients of God's covenant. And this is a name changer. We talked about game changer with Paul a few weeks ago. We've ha- uh, had different, uh, a different name changer a little while back. This one is a name changer. And here's what it says in Genesis 17. I told you there was a lot to go through this morning. Bear with me. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make, the, make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you, were, where you now reside as a foreigner. I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. The covenant-making God, the promise-keeping God, makes his promise to Abraham and Sarai. And that's a short section of the covenant. We don't have time today to go through any more of it. But in this covenant, God also calls on Abraham and his people to keep the covenant. And one of the key aspects of them keeping the covenant was for their males to be circumcised. And now... This is not the kind of thing you would just make up. If you wanted to say, well, God has spoken to me, God has chosen me, God has called me, I'm the person who God has chosen and he's made his promise to me, you wouldn't then add a little add-on, but all the males in my household will be circumcised. This is something that was marking Abraham out and his family and the people of God from that time. And Sarai becomes Sarah. And Isaac, the child of promise, or the one whose name means laughter, is promised to them. I wonder what the most grand guest you've ever had in your house may be. I was very fond of this picture a couple of years ago. I have not quite yet got round my head around the idea of what would you do if the king was coming to tea at your house. I've, I've grown up being with the question, what would you do if the queen was coming to your house? So I'm not, I'm not over that yet. So here we have um, uh, the queen actually hosting a very honored guest, Paddington. Do you remember this image from a few years ago? Well, I don't know who the greatest person you've hosted, the most nervous you've been, the most eager you've been to get your house ready for somebody visiting, and you know, around, we're coming up to that period of time where, uh, you know, around Christmas you may have visitors coming, and the toilets get cleaned like they've never been cleaned before, anyone else? Oh, that's just in our house, okay. Oh dear, that sounds like we don't usually clean, no, we do? Yeah, oh, 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 we'll discuss that later, dear. Anyway, I don't know who you've hosted, but Abraham and Sarah had this amazing scenario where they hosted the Lord God Almighty. 
says this, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be bought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now, this passage opens by saying the Lord appeared to Abraham, but we don't actually know whether that was who Abraham was recognizing when he saw these three people. We don't know that he was recognizing uh, the presence of the Lord amongst them. Uh, But we are always called to be ready to host and to be hospitable and to make room for people as Jesus would. And in fact, with Jesus, he tells us, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it for me. And whatever you don't do for the least of these, it's me that you're not doing it for. And that's a great challenge to us. And we would aspire and desire to be ready to host people and ready to have this kind of heart that Abraham and Sarah had in hosting these people. And it may be that this story is one of the stories being referred to in Hebrews 13, where it says um, that we're, we're, we're told to show hospitality to strangers. And it says this, because some have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Maybe it was talking about this story where Abraham and Sarah didn't really know who it was uh, and it just became clear later and that's why it's written as it is. But we want to be ready, don't we? To host and we're we're doing what we can. We're we're trying to cobble together some little welcome bags and we're we're trying to do different things. But we're always going to be aspiring to be doing things better, amen? And then we get to this wonderful point in the story. Where God asked this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? One of these people, one of these visitors that Abraham and Sarah have, says, surely I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah doubted this in the immediate. She overheard it and she lied about laughing. And she's asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's ask ourselves that question. As we look at the the landscape of our lives and all the challenges we face and all the things that we are believing God will do and can do, is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing. Anything is possible in him. The story moves on, and Abraham pleads for Sodom, but although Lot was spared from that region, so great was their wickedness that the judgment of God came. And we need to remember that this is the same God that we are worshiping and serving. He is still righteous. He is still holy. And he won't be mocked. Thankfully, we live in the grace of Jesus Christ. And the goodness of God and his mercy is so wide. But he is ultimately the judge. And we can trust him to judge all the things that are going on the earth. Eventually on that great day he will judge it all fairly. And we will trust him and we will see that his his judgments are right. We can trust God. But we need to know that he is still righteous and he is still holy today and then 
Abraham and Sarah doubted God's promise and took things into their own hands. Part three. And unbelievably, it's a repetition of a similar story that we read earlier. God came uh, 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 because Abraham told the same lie about Sarah uh, with Abimelech. God, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night, and God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Oh, that's why I did not let you touch her. I've, I was... The, the little passage, I've got my verses wrong there. I was meant to um, show you the beginning of the story where Abraham lied again as he had done to Pharaoh or concealed the truth and talked about her being his sister. And in this passage, we actually get the reality that that is a half-truth but not a whole truth. But God, and we don't know about the scenario with Pharaoh, but we get it very clearly in this scenario that God had uh, kept Abimelech from uh, sinning with Sarah and taking her uh, literally as his own wife. We don't know in the story with Pharaoh. We, we don't get that detail, but we do it in this story. God is gracious and, and delivers him from that. But it's hard for us to believe, isn't it, that Abraham would do this again. But have you ever gone back and done something that you know you shouldn't have done and you learned from it and you were sorry and then you did it again? I know I have. And the result of this was barrenness for Abimelech's household, but God delivered and healed them. And how hard Abraham and Sarah were finding it to believe God's word over such a long period of time and against all the sense of the human brain and mind would suggest but God's word always prevails and as we come into land over this vast story this is the bit we get to now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Amen? God's promise prevails. And the reality is we haven't made it to arguably the most well-known story about Abraham yet. We're not going to go into that in detail. But it tells us that sometime later, Abraham is asked to give his only son as a sacrifice. And this time, Abraham had learnt that the Lord will provide. And he had learnt to trust him with his whole heart. So as he takes his son Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice, he's built the altar. He's about to take the knife to his own son. But he had proclaimed, son, the Lord will provide. And it tells us this, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, let's say this together, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The Lord knew in all his sovereignty how this story would end. But Abraham didn't. But he did know that God would be faithful. He did know that God would keep his promise. And this son through whom the descendants of the earth, uh, Abraham's descendants were going to be as numerous as the dust and the stars. 
God's word would be fulfilled. And so he had learnt to trust God, even in this most unimaginably difficult scenario. And this story, along with the whole Bible, points us to Jesus Christ. A foreshadow of, the God, of God the Father's sacrifice of his own, his own son. Possibly, it's argued a lo- about a lot, but it possibly even on that same mountain where Abraham took Isaac. God gave his only son and did allow him to be sacrificed so that you and I might be called righteous by faith as we trust in him who was without sin yet gave his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus of Nazareth is that descendant of Abraham and Sarah by whom we are all invited into the family of God. And that's why we can sing, Father Abraham, had many sons, and let me add, and daughters. I'm one of them. We all have the opportunity to be grafted into the family of God, to be those descendants as numerous as the stars and the dust, through faith in Jesus Christ, be grafted into the family of God. Matthew Henry's commentary says this, Christ is the great blessing of the world. Abraham was ready to give up his son for a sacrifice to the honor of God. And on that occasion, God promised to give his son a sacrifice for the salvation of man. Abraham is our forefather in faith. Through all his failures, the Lord was faithful. And Abraham learned that God's promises prevail. Amen? So I want to encourage you this morning, church. God chooses you. Do not rule yourself out or others out because life has been somewhat dysfunctional. Join the club. God will choose and use you for his glory. Do not try and make, take matters into your own hands in the face of God's promise. If we want to avoid those consequences. And do not let doubt and emotion be your decision makers. Time and again through this story, doubt and emotion were the decision makers. It's not to say that we ignore those things or that those things are bad in themselves. But let's try and make the choice to trust God's promise over those things. When we doubt, when we feel like we want to do something that is against what God has said and promised, let's come back and make that plumb line of God's word our standard. Amen? So do know that his promises... Um, purpose and plan will prevail. Do receive the righteousness of God by faith and do take God at the promise of his word. Let's pray together. The first thing I would like to pray about is those who want to receive the righteousness of God today. And this might be for the first time you've never realized that Jesus can actually make you righteous, that Jesus can offer you forgiveness of your sins and a new life in God and an eternal security that you know you will be with him forever. And if you've never come to that place before and you feel like maybe God is touching your heart today and you're realizing that for the first time, we would want to pray with you and help you start that journey. So while eyes are closed and the camera's not on the room, so don't worry about that, just ask you if that's you today and for the first time you want to say, yes, I want to receive the righteousness of Jesus, then please just raise your hand and we'd love to pray with you 
and help you begin walking that journey with Jesus. Nobody in the room, that's fine. If there's more you'd like to talk about making that decision, then please speak to us. And if you're joining online, please get in touch. Nothing would please us more than helping you begin that journey. So then for the rest of us, here's what I want to pray about. If you need to hold on to the promise of God for you today, Abraham and Sarah had great challenge holding on to the promise of God. I want to say to you, is anything too hard for the Lord? If you want that strength to hold on to the promise, then just pray these words after me. Lord, I trust you. Your word is true. And I believe your promise will prevail. Help me to make good choices today in light of your promise. Amen. And let's all pray that God's word will prevail in our world. When there are so many things battling that seem to be ungodly and going in ungodly directions, let us pray that God's word will prevail on earth today. Lord, we pray that in your name, your promises, your plan, your purposes, your word. We know it will not return to you void. It will accomplish that for which you have sent it. And so we agree with that and we bless your name. Amen. Amen.